If a bear clacks its teeth, sticks out its lips, huffs, woofs, or slaps the ground with its paws, it's a warning. It's warning you that you are too close and you're making it nervous. <laughs> Heed this warning and slowly back away. This from the National Park Service. What else could you do or not do if you come across a bear in Yellowstone? And I'm guessing here, come across a bear any place? Do not immediately drop to the ground and play dead. Bears can sense overacting. <laughs> do not run, shout, or make sudden movements. Running may trigger a chase response in the bear, and you can't outrun a bear. Bears in Yellowstone chase down elk calves all the time. You do not want to look like a slow elk calf. I mean, talk about elk calf hate here for a second, but you don't want to look like a slow elk calf. Slowly put distance between yourself and the bear. This may defuse the situation. Draw your bear spray from the holster, remove the safety tab, and prepare to use it if the bear charges. Do not run up and push the bear. <laughs> and do not push a slower friend down. <laughs> now this is from the, from the National Park Service. Even if you feel the friendship has run its course, don't push the slower friend to the ground. I mean, I feel like pushing a friend down actually may work. Uh, maybe that's just me. You know the old joke? You don't have to run faster than the bear to get away. You just have to run faster than the guy next to you. Also, running to a tree or frantically climbing a tree may provoke a bear to chase you. In most cases, climbing a tree is a poor decision. Bears can climb trees, especially if there's something up the tree that the bear wants, you know, like you. Also, something to think about here, when was the last time you climbed a tree? These are just helpful tips if you run into a bear at Yellowstone or any place else, really. Thank you, National Park Service. Thank you. Welcome. Welcome to Chewing the Fat. <laughs> I talked about the water levels of 1,500 plus reservoirs in California that are 50% lower than normal at this time of the year a couple of weeks ago. Well, they're saying now 88% of the American West is currently experiencing a drought. And the U.S.'s largest reservoir, Lake Mead, is at its lowest level since it was filled in the 1930s with a record-breaking heat wave sizzling its way across the West. Uh, officials are most certainly going to declare the first ever water shortage for the Colorado River, which feeds Lake Mead. The shortage is going to affect much more than the Californians uh, and much more than just the shower times in California. Rising water prices and dwindling government subsidies means farmers are letting fields of almonds, one of California's most lucrative crops, uh, tomatoes and other produce just go away. 17 million salmon are being chauffeured from dying rivers to the ocean, costing, you know, probably a million or more. And they're saving, uh, you know, 23,000 industry jobs, at least for now. 
grids are already struggling. Yeah, the power grids are already struggling to keep the AC running. And the capacity at the hydroelectric power facilities, plummeting. The Hoover, Hoover Dam at Lake Mead, down 25%. And I would bet that it's probably down more than that. If Lake Mead is at its lowest point uh, since it was filled, uh, it would seem to think that that uh, that uh, power, uh, hydroelectric power is uh, plummeting even more, but they claim that it's only down 25%. And the good news is the fire season is right, right around the corner. I don't know, like now. So with the drought, oh, that will be fun. That will be fun. Now then, let's, uh, let's get to the Olympics, shall we? I responded to a social media post this weekend, on Twitter to be exact. If you don't follow me, it's JeffyJFR. And it began with Amy commenting on the headline from The Hill saying uh, Tokyo Olympics organizers plan to distribute 160,000 condoms and tell athletes not to use them. Her comment was, that seems a little sus, as my daughters would say. Well, then uh, Tobin for Pope replied, how many Olympic athletes are there? How many condoms is each one receiving? Also, what kind of size and fit accommodations are being made? Are all the athletes receiving the same ones or will it be determined by country? This demands a chewing the fat investigation. Well, I replied to that homework accepted. And, uh, you know, I plan on doing a little chewing the fat investigation, more of a look into uh, the, uh, wiretap of an overview into the Olympics, but, uh, a few things that we do know the 2020 summer Olympics will begin on Friday, July 23rd and end Sunday, August 8th. Japan's government and the international Olympic committee have come under fire from Japanese residents. Critics are saying that it's not safe to hold the games due to the coronavirus. We also know the International Olympic Committee said specifically that the slogan Black Lives Matter will be banned from athlete apparel at the Summer Olympics. It's part of the IOC's long-standing ban on demonstration or political, religious, or racial propaganda on the playing field, the medal stand, or during the game's official ceremonies. More generic words like peace, respect, solidarity, inclusion, and equality will be allowed on t-shirts. So far, the IOC has not said what types of punishment athletes could face for violating these rules. It only said it would treat each violation on a case-by-case -case basis. We have mentioned that NBC Universal said it will broadcast more than 7,000 hours of Olympics content across NBC, USA, Peacock, and all of its other media properties this summer. We know that it has become an Olympics tradition handing out condoms to athletes who choose to engage in sex so they can do so safely during their time at the games. However, coronavirus rules this year stipulate that athletes should eat and sleep alone in order to prevent the spread of the virus. The organizers said that the condoms are being handed out for athletes to raise awareness for HIV and AIDS in their home countries. Breaking the coronavirus restrictions during the games could result in disqualification, fines, and being sent home. We now know these are not the Olympic celibate games. Since the 1988 Seoul Games, hundreds of thousands of free condoms have been distributed at the Olympics to encourage safe sex as the world's uh, elite athletes mingle at close quarters. The Seoul Games 
only distributed 8,500 condoms. Many were found on the roofs of the village residences, leading to an official Olympic ban on outdoor sex. In 92, when it was reported that the game's organizers had ordered in prophylactics like ordering takeout, it went up tenfold to 90,000. Then at the 2000 Sydney Games, 70,000 condoms wasn't enough, prompting a second order of 20,000 and a new standing order of 100,000 condoms per the Olympics. The first record of the Rio Olympics was set ahead of the opening ceremony when 450,000 condoms were ordered for the athletes' village. There were 10,500 competitors in Rio, making that uh, 42 condoms each. Even uh, before Australia, Britain, and other nations ordered in extra allocations. The London Olympics were dubbed the raunchiest games ever, but a mere 150,000 condoms were allocated to the village four years ago. There were 130,000 in Athens. This time around, it's no surprise that for Japanese condom makers, the Olympics was supposed to be a golden opportunity, with hordes of eager tourists and tens of thousands of their innovative, ultra-thin prophylactics given to athletes. But a ban on overseas fans, strict virus rules, and regulations preventing the distribution of their premium condoms to competitors have left the manufacturers, well deflated the rule book for athletes specifically warns them to avoid unnecessary forms of physical conduct leaving some wondering why condoms are being distributed at all a japanese mountaineer and environmental activist ken naguchi has tweeted the plan to give them out is something i just can't comprehend is that right ken can't you Game organizers say distributing condoms, of course, is meant to raise awareness about HIV and AIDS and that the International Olympic Committee has asked for the handouts to continue this year despite the pandemic. The organizing committee was quoted, the distributed condoms are not meant to be used at the Olympic Village. Instead, they are supposed to be brought back by the athletes to their respective home countries and to help them support the campaign to raise awareness. Uh huh. Even though the unofficial Olympic sport of bed hopping among athletes from over 200 countries who spend weeks living in close quarters is well known, and we'll get to some of those stories in a moment. If the 15,000 Olympic and Paralympic athletes observe COVID 19 rules to the letter during their stay in Tokyo, this year's consignment is going to go unused. And when I say 15,000 athletes, we know over 14,000 athletes competed at the 2016 Summer Olympics and 2018 Winter Olympics combined. There was 35 different sports and 400 events. We shall see what the total count is as we get into this event. So the distribution is going ahead, but there's a wrinkle for manufacturers, a ban on their prized model condoms that are just 0.01 millimeters thick. As soon as Tokyo was named 2020 host, Japanese condom makers moved ahead with their manufacturing to ensure maximum coverage in time for the games. Four Japanese manufacturers have been banking on the games to market their specialty, the ultra-thin condoms made of polyurethane that are said to heighten the pleasure of safe sex. Now, it turns out that the manufacturers can only distribute their latex-based condoms while the ultra-thin models are made of polyurethane. Uh, this, of course, according to the ja Japan Condoms Industrial Association, who doesn't love the 
Japan Condoms Industrial Association. One industry source said, when I learned about the requirement, I thought, oh my God, can that be right? We had really counted on being able to offer these ultra-thin ones. In 2018, leading condom maker uh, Sagami Rubber, I'm sorry, Sagami Rubber Industries, opened a new factory in Malaysia to meet the expected rise in demand. (laughs) It's only Japanese companies that now manufacture condoms as thin as 0.1, I'm sorry, 0.01 and 0.02 millimeters, and telling the AFP, the Agency France Presse, uh, we see the Tokyo Games as an extremely precious opportunity to let the world know about Japan's high technology. The pandemic has brought hard times with Japan's borders effectively closed to tourists and Olympic organizers borrowing overseas spectators for the first time in history. In Tokyo's uh, quirky uh, Harajuka, and bustling uh, Shibuya neighborhoods, the condomania boutiques uh, managed by uh, Koji Nagishi uh, usually attract large number of tourists. Uh-uh. The foreign tourists have disappeared from the area compared to, you know, 2019. Hello. And his shops uh, stock a variety of products intended to appeal to the visitors, ranging from the barely there prophylactics to souvenirs printed with iconic the uh, Yukio woodblock prints, I think that's how you pronounce that, with the, the great wave with Mount Fuji in the background. <laughs> uh, the ones that are designed as souvenirs don't sell at all, he said. And now our shop is staying afloat thanks to regular customers from the neighborhood. However, virus restrictions in Tokyo have also reduced the number of Japanese customers. So, an industry source said domestic tastes appear to favor condoms with extra lubricant rather than the ultra-thin style. From a safe sex perspective, what we want is people using any condom rather than none. Isn't that special? The organizers of the 2020 Olympics have repeatedly vowed to put on a safe and secure games during the coronavirus pandemic but safe sex or anything approaching intimacy for that matter will be forbidden for athletes competing in tokyo Uh uh-huh we've already barred overseas spectators and are asking those who do attend the delayed event to show their support by clapping rather than cheering or singing to try and reduce the risk of spreading the virus the international olympic committee this week repeated demands that residents of the olympic village must observe social distancing guidelines to prevent an outbreak of covid19 and again threatening rule breakers with a range of penalties fines disqualifications even deportation dining has become another issue organizers were originally planning to provide meals in vast dining halls the largest one with the capacity to seat 4,500 people at once. Now they're encouraging athletes to eat and sleep alone, maintain social distancing with others, and wipe down surfaces after eating. Oh, okay. Um, One of the infectious disease specialists advising the Tokyo 2020 said at a news conference without proper measures in place, it will only take one person to bring the virus and spread it, especially in places like the Athlete Village. We have to do what we can to make sure an outbreak doesn't happen. And we really need the cooperation of all athletes and delegations to make this work. We also know that there's been increasing pressure from medical staff regarding calls for volunteer nurses and doctors to take part in the Olympics amid this pandemic. Now, Japan's government 
has just approved lifting Tokyo's virus emergency measures a month before the Olympics, uh, a set of new restrictions that could sharply limit fans at the sporting events, and the state of emergency in place in Tokyo began in late April and largely limits bar and restaurant opening hours and bans them from selling alcohol. Now, that measure just ended yesterday in the capital uh, and eight other regions. The prime minister announced it will stay in place in Okinawa, yesterday being the 20th of June 2021, for those of you listening live. <laughs> I mentioned that the IOC said any times of uh, clothing, any items of clothing featuring the slogans like Black Lives Matter will not be allowed, and uh, despite the move, apparel featuring the words peace, respect, solidarity, inclusion, and equality are permitted. And inciting reasons for the decision, the IOC said 70% of the 3,500 athletes surveyed last year agreed it wasn't appropriate to demonstrate or express their views while participating in the Olympics or attending the opening and closing ceremonies. Just a reminder, though, there's no such restriction on apparel worn during the press conferences, interviews, or team meetings. So be ready for that to happen anyway. And we'll see if NBC shows any of that. Civil rights attorney Ben Crump, you remember Ben, who represented the families of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. He, of course, criticized the the decision. The Olympics will ban any athlete who wears a BLM shirt, kneels during the national anthem, or raises a fist to oppose racism. Uh, This sends the wrong message about basic human rights. And I urge the Olympic Committee to reverse this decision. (laughs) Speaking of clothing, we have a first look at Ralph Lauren's Team USA uniforms, the images of the 2021 U.S. Olympic Team uniforms. The outfits which the athletes will wear include white jeans, white polo shirts, and white windbreakers. Almost sounds too white. Ralph Lauren has been making uh, Team USA's opening and closing ceremony uniforms since 2008. Usually the outfits uh, make news for their more flamboyant elements. They've made ugly sweaters and uh, most notably a shawl-colored cardigan in 2014. There have been berets and newsboy caps and striped shirts, but mostly the uniforms have followed a predictable pattern. Cozy chalet wear for winter, preppy dockside garb for summer. The assignment, though, has always been Americana. Ralph Lorenza Americana. When you're a Ralph Lauren designer, every human looks like it needs a polo shirt. Yeah, Uh, I'm sure that we'll hear that these uniforms are just for the white American culture. And even though they claim to have worked to bring more sustainable materials and manufacturing practice across Team USA Collection, partnering with American manufacturers, eh, we'll see if that's enough to be uh, anti-racist and woke. (laughs) All that having been said, I didn't think we uh, we would see the 2020 Olympics. I didn't think it would happen. But it does look as though it's going to happen. So let's get the, to the debauchery that is the Olympics. These athletes train so hard to get to the games. When you're with all the other human athletes, now you're thinking about business. Yeah, the business of the 2020 Summer Olympics. <laughs> Yes, the business of the Olympics. Now, the first reports stem to Seoul, 1988, when 8,500 condoms were distributed. Remember, they found uh, the used ones up on the roof of the village residence, which led to the official Olympic ban on 
outdoor sex. In 92, the figure went up uh, more than tenfold to 90,000. Um, Atlanta looked like they scaled it back a little to 15,000. There were no reports of extra orders, although you know there was. An initial 70,000 at the Sydney Olympics was not enough. Extra supplies were brought in, and there were 130,000 in Athens. And now we're looking at, uh, you know, 160,000 here in Tokyo. Uh, Sam Alipore from ESPN Magazine, way back in 2012, Bidness Olympic style, my title of the story not his. Many Olympians, past and present, abide by what Summer Sanders, a swimmer who won two gold medals, a silver and a bronze in Barcelona, calls the second Olympic motto, what happens in the village stays in the village. But if you ask enough active and retired athletes often enough to spill their secrets, it becomes clear that summer or winter the games go on long after the medal ceremony there's a whole lot of sex going on says woman soccer goalkeeper hope solo gold medalist in 2008 how much sex i'd say it's 70 percent to 75 percent of olympians offers world record holding swimmer ryan latke hey sometimes you gotta do what you gotta do American target shooter Josh Lakatos, uh, Lakatos, is that right? L-A-K-A-T-O-S. Uh, halfway through the 2000 Summer Olympics in Sydney, he and his rifle-toting teammates finished with their events, and the U.S. Olympic Committee and team officials ordered them to turn in their keys to their three-story house and head back to the States. But he didn't want to leave, and he knew from his experience four years earlier in Atlanta where he'd won silver, that the Olympic Village was just about to erupt into a raucous party. And there was no way he was going to miss it. So he asked the maid that had emptied out the dwelling if she'd kindly look the other way as he jimmied the lock. The maid replied, I don't care what you do. Within hours of, uh, of doing that, word of the nearly vacant property had spread, popping up uh, once every two years. The Olympic Village is a boisterous city within a city. It's chock full of condos, mid-rises, houses, and cafes, barbershops, arcades, discos, TV lounges. The only thing missing is privacy. Everyone is stuck with a roommate. So Lactose claimed uh, the first floor suite for himself. The remaining rooms were there for the taking. And the first to claim the space that night were some Team USA track and field fellows. The next morning, he says the entire women's 4x100 relay team of some Scandinavian-looking country walks out of the house, followed by the guys from our side. I mean, we just watched those girls the night before. <laughs> and it went on for eight days as scores of Olympians, male and female, trickled into the shooter's house. And that's what everyone called it, shooter's house. At all hours, stopping by with duffel bags overflowing with condoms from the village helpful medical clinic. And after a while, it dawned on him, I'm running a brothel in the Olympic Village. I've never witnessed so much debauchery in my entire life. Water polo captain Tony Esvito, a veteran of Beijing, Athens, and Sydney, who then returned to London. You're nervous, super excited. Everyone's meeting people and trying to hook up with someone which is to be expected. Olympians are young, supremely healthy people who've been training with the intensity of, of combat troops for years. Suddenly, they're released into a cocoon where reporters and parents are not allowed. 
pre-competition testosterone is running high many olympians are in what's called a tapering mode full of excess energy because they're maintaining a training diet of up to about 9,000 calories a day well while they're not actually training as hard so it becomes what he says is a pretty wild scene the dining hall among everyone's first village stops when I walked in the first time in Atlanta, says Brandy Chastain, a woman soccer player, there were loud cheers. We look over, we see two French handballers dressed in socks, shoes, jock straps, and neckties, hats on the top of a dining table, feeding one another lunch. We're like, holy cow, what is this place? Many liken it to high school cafeteria, except everyone is beautiful, says Julie Foudy, who has two golds and one silver from playing soccer in three Olympics and is, was an, a, an analyst for ESPN. We'd gaze over our food for hours, watching all the eye candy, wondering why I got married. <laughs> from one end of the village to the other, flags hang from windows and music blares from balconies. Unlike a bar, it's not awkward to strike up a conversation because you all have something in common. It starts with what sport do you play? All of a sudden, you're fist bumping. <laughs> uh, it sounds like you're doing more than fist bumping. Uh, BMXer Jill Kittner, who won a bronze in Beijing, says the Italians are particularly inviting. They leave their doors open, and you look in and see dudes in thongs running circles around each other. On the way to the practice fields, the girls are in skimpy panties and bras, the dudes in underwear, so you see what everybody's working with from the jump, says Bro Greer, an American javelin thrower. Even if their face is a 7, their body is a 20. Oh yeah. In Beijing, even the adolescent female gymnasts got sassy with the water polo and judo boys who shared their training room quickly. The reality sinks in that the village is just a magical fairy tale place like Alice in Wonderland, where everything is possible, says Carrie Scheinberg, an alpine skier at the 94 Winter Games, and then was a reporter for subsequent Olympics. You could win a gold medal and you can sleep with a really hot guy. <laughs> and no matter your taste, the village has got you covered. The soccer girls, all hot. And they dress like rock stars, according to one male swimmer. Male gymnasts, they're like lovable little Ewoks, says Jill Kintner. <laughs> Others have their favorite. As far as the best bodies, it's the swimmers and water polo players. That's an insane workout. And the track guys, they're sneaky cute. Very serious, but when they lighten up, you're like, oh, you're kind of adorable. <laughs> if you find somebody you like and who likes you, your world's complete for a second. And you compete well. The challenge athletes face is what to do with their urges and when. If you don't have discipline, the village is a huge distraction. Some swear off sex until their events are done. Others make it part of their pre-event routine. American shot putter and silver bronze medalist John Godina thought he'd seen it all in Atlanta. Late night hookups, friends disappearing for days at a time. But he hadn't seen anything like the dorm room in Sydney he shared with javelin thrower which had instantly become a revolving door of women without backstories. It's like Vegas. You learn not to ask a lot of questions. 
<laughs> of course, some coaches try to limit late night activities by enforcing 11 p.m. noise curfews, banning alcohol consumption, or in the case of USA Swimming, forbidding cross-gender visitation in the bedrooms. For most Olympians, the ramp up to the games is lonely. Uh, it's like movie stars on a movie shoot, right? Uh, the Olympics present the perfect opportunity to find a partner who understands where you're coming from. Think about uh, how hard it is to meet someone. Now take an Olympian who trains 6 a.m. to 5 p.m. every day. When the hell are you supposed to meet someone? The pressure is done now. You're meeting like-minded people. And boom, business. Think about it. Just something to keep in the back of your mind when uh, watching uh, some or all of the 7,000 hours of competition being broadcast on all NBC platforms. The 2020 Summer Business Olympics during the 2021, of course. All right, let's go to the break room. I need something cold to drink desperately. Wow. Uh, Ronaldo... And, you know, the soccer star who got, uh, you know, big uh, viral video last week about, uh, you know, when he slid the Coca-Cola bottles off to the side. He has now become the first person to reach 300 million followers on Instagram. That's just below uh, the number that uh, Jeff Fisher Radio has on Instagram. Uh, he's got 300 million. I've got, you know, under 300 million on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Rock has 246 million. Again, just above uh, Jeff Fisher Radio on Instagram. Ariana Grande has 244 million, and uh, Lionel Messi, who is uh, you know another huge soccer star and not quite as big as Ronaldo, uh, although he would disagree with that, only has 218 million followers on Instagram. So that's. Pretty good following there on Instagram for Ronaldo and the rest of those people. I know that, you know, Jeff Fisher Radio is, you know, not 300 million. I see where uh, they were showing a company, uh, uh, Fevacol, is a uh, adhesive company. They just did an ad where their two bottles of their adhesive are on a podium that uh, they go up against the Ronaldo, you know, moving the Coca-Cola bottles. And their ad is viral because uh, it's time, you know, they show the press platform with the Fevercol bottles on top. And it talks about them, uh, you know, these will, uh, these will not move and they will not devalue. <laughs> I mean, got to act, got to go in today's world. You got to be ready to move fast, right? You can quote me on that. In today's world, you got to be ready to move fast. It is Amazon Prime Day. Uh, I know, a huge holiday. Be ready for that for today and tomorrow. For those of you listening live to Chewing the Fat, it is the 21st of June, 2021. They're going to offer more than 2 million deals to its Prime members. And yay! It's going to... Uh, after this year's event, they're supposed to go back to uh, the normal Prime Day of October which they changed you know, due to the pandemic. And uh, in two days last year, they sold $10.4 billion worth of goods, up 45% from 2019. And its third-party sellers topped $3.5 in sales. 
uh, up nearly 60% annually. So we'll see how it uh, works out now that people are, you know, not stuck at home. So I know that everybody wants to try to get on board. Walmart, Target, Kohl's have all started offering mega deals of their own to coincide with Prime Day, Prime Deal. I mean, they. I saw the Target deal days uh, are up. I'm not sure. I'm sure Walmart, uh, you know, they all have their deal days. But uh, this is the last one for Jeff Bezos, right, as CEO. He steps down uh, July 5th to make way for the great Andy Jassy over there at AWS. Did you see where they are? Uh, we talked about the petition. <laughs> That as they want Bezos to eat, buy and eat the Mona Lisa, which I don't know that I understand completely, but that's what the petition wants. Well, now we have a big petition calling for Bezos to be denied re-entry to Earth after his space trip. (laughs) So he's scheduled to travel to space with Blue Origin on the 20th of July from here in Texas. As of right now, You have almost 46,000 people who have signed this petition. They're trying to get to 50,000 signatures, so it becomes one of the top signed petitions on change.org. It was started by this Jose Ortiz a week or so ago, and according to this, it was written tongue-in-cheek. Was it? Jose, was it? So according to this, uh, Jeff Bezos is actually Lex Luthor disguised as a supposed owner of a super successful online retail store who is actually an evil overlord, hell-bent on global domination. It further reads that uh, Jeff has worked with the Epsteins and the Knights of Templar, as well as the Freemasons, to gain control over the whole world. He's also in bed with the Flat Earth Deniers. It's the only way they'll allow him to leave the atmosphere. Meanwhile, our government stands by and lets it happen. As mentioned, along with Bezos and his brother, two other mystery auction winners will also get to go into space with them. So uh, that, you know, we he sold that one ticket, I'm sorry, auctioned it off for $28 million. So now they're just trying to say that they don't want him to be allowed re-entry into the Earth's atmosphere once he leaves. <laughs> you want him to remain in space indefinitely. The petition is titled, for the official title is, Do Not Allow Jeff Bezos to Return to Earth. And as we are speaking live on this stupid petition, it just broke 46,000. And uh, I'm sure that it will get to well above 50,000 because it's funny. It's funny. And uh, so just if you want to go there, you can go to change.org and Look up, do not allow Jeff Bezos to return to Earth and sign it and be be part of the movement. You know, I, I mentioned the tropical depression in the Gulf of Mexico on Friday. Well, early Saturday morning, it turned into Tropical Storm Claudette and it moved inland through Louisiana toward Mississippi. And it, uh, you know, it's pretty much off of the continent right now or close to it. But it did some serious damage Uh, Flash flooding, tornadoes, strong winds. 13 people, including at least nine children, died in Alabama. It, uh, it, you know, got that tropical storm status again after it approached North Carolina. Really bad. 
you can you can quote me on that as well. Uh, really bad. So I'm sure Mercury One is on the ground helping when and where they can. You can go to mercuryone.org if you'd like to help. But wow, it was just uh, a lot worse than people thought. I, at least I don't know. At least it was a lot worse than I thought. That's for sure. So apparently we have stolen military weapons and we don't even know that they're really, we don't even know how many are missing because they don't even know uh, that they're missing. They busted a guy in 20, 2018 that uh, had a nine millimeter Beretta. And then they found that the bullet castings linked it to four shootings, all of them in Albany, New York. And uh, by the way, the pistol was a U.S. Army property. And it was intended for use against, uh, you know, American enemies, not on its streets. And the army didn't even know how the M9 got to New York's capital uh, until I don't even know how it was there. They thought that it was still safe inside Fort Bragg, North Carolina. Oh, okay. So how about that? Huh? So the AP did this investigative report and they found, uh, you know, according to the Associated Press, that there's at least 1,900 U.S. military firearms lost or stolen during the 2010s, with some resurfacing in violent crimes. Huh. I'd be a surprise that the military didn't want this information to get out. I mean, we do know about Fast and Furious. Uh, That was uh, putting uh, weapons into uh, the arms of criminals from our uh, leaders, uh, Eric Holder, former Attorney General, President Barack Obama, former President of the United States. So we do know that that happens, so we don't know how this actually is happening. I mean, I think we can have a pretty good idea of how this happens. But according to this list, uh, there's 1,179 rifles. There are 694 handguns. There are 74 machine guns. There are 36 grenade launchers. There are 34 rocket launchers. There are 25 mortars, 11 shotguns. And I'm not quite sure what the seven under other are, but that could be my favorite weapon uh, for coming from the military. Other. So, uh, good luck. God bless. Take care out of there. We really don't know how many weapons are out there, you know, lost or stolen. But, uh, you know, just keep counting. Keep that paper trail. Keep that uh, keep that uh, inventory sheet up to date because uh, we're sure that everything is fine. I mean, I'm, I, I'm happy to know that there's 1,179 rifles lost or stolen. But I'm a little concerned over what the seven other could be. Maybe that's just me. Hey, thanks to uh, Nicholas who emailed uh, emailed me at chewingthefat at theblaze.com. This story about the 42,000 pounds of missing pistachios. And I guess that this uh, is a possible illegal pistachio operation. You don't want none of that. You don't want none of the pistachio mafia. 
man, do not be messing with the pistachio mafia. So apparently, uh, this company in California noticed that, uh, hey, uh, we're missing like 42,000 pounds of pistachios and um, we don't know what the heck happened. So it appears that one of their truck drivers was, uh, you know, decided that he was going to steal them and sell them. So he drove the trailer with 42,000 pounds of pistachios in it to one parking lot and then moved it to another parking lot and they were going through the trailer taking the pistachios out of the 2,000 pound sacks and putting them into smaller bags and then reselling them so why did he have to take the whole trailer I mean why not just drop off uh, you know one 2,000 pound sack and you know every day you drive by a certain lot and you drop off one 2,000 pound sack and then you break it up and sell it and nobody's the wiser you deliver the trailer and you do the inventory and you go oh crap man that am I missing a bag what the hell who didn't put on 25 I mean I only have I only have 40,000 pounds instead of 42,000 gosh darn it or you take and I'm this is just an idea for me for later on if you want to you know decide to sell uh, you know hot pistachios on the market for uh, at flea markets around any part of the country uh you, you take the semi-trailer and you get in there and you take you know uh, 30 minutes and you take say uh pistachios from 10 different bags so when you deliver the 2000 pound bag of pistachios I mean, do they weigh every bag? Probably not. And so, you know, when you get a bag that's supposed to have 2,000 pounds of pistachios in it, and it only has 1,900 in it, who's going to miss it? But they will miss a tractor trailer worth with 42,000 pounds. So that's just greed. That's just greed. And it's, it's very disheartening that criminals aren't smarter anymore. That's all. It's just disheartening that he would think that they would notice that uh, hey you know touchstone pistachio company we won't miss a whole 42,000 pounds of pistachios we'll just take the trailer and nobody will notice it oh okay are we sure about that yeah we're sure don't worry about it well no uh, yeah uh, Alberto Montemayor of uh, Montemayor Trucking was arrested and booked so sorry, Alberto, you should have been just a tad bit smarter. So it's almost time for the unveiling of the Princess Diana statue. I haven't done any royal news in a while. And, uh, or, you know, has been royals, would be royals, uh, should have been royals, the royals that said, uh, no, we're not going to be a part of you anymore. We're speaking of, you know, Harry and Meghan. But uh, they're doing the Princess Diana statue on her birthday. You know, they're unveiling her statue on July 1st. And it's a, you know, it's a pretty big deal. But uh, with the, you know, the the little spout that's going on between Meghan and Harry and William and Kate and Prince Harry, or I mean, Prince Charles. So, uh, and now after Prince Philip died... We don't know who's all going, who's going to show up. And Harry said he's going, no problem. But now we're getting reports, and we figured Meghan wouldn't go. She didn't go to the funeral because she was pregnant. She just had the baby girl, and so, you know, she probably wants to stay home with the baby. 
Uh -uh. We're getting reports now that she has decided to tighten the chain on Harry and she's going to go. Now, is she going to take the baby? Probably not. Is she going to take the kid? Is Archie going to come? Maybe. I don't know. But they definitely, you know, there are reports that they don't want to have William and Kate take all the, all the, (laughs) you know, all the accolades because uh, Harry will just be the standalone. And she felt bad that, uh, you know, he was there at the funeral alone and it was difficult for him and he didn't have a shoulder to cry on. He was treated poorly. Was he? Was he, Meg? Was he? But now, I, you know, who's going to... I don't know if Charles is, was reported that Charles isn't going to be there. It's reported that maybe Kate's not going to be there. It's just going to be William and Harry. I mean, it's a nightmare. So we'll see. It should be fun to see who's going to show up what happens, uh, what behind the scenes. And I know, you know, does it really matter in in the grand scheme of things? No, but it's fun to watch. At least it is for me. And it'll be really fun to, uh, see if Megan does go. It would surprise me. I mean, she does not want to leave, let loosen up that chain on Harry, man. She's got him. She's got him nice and tight, nice and tight. And, uh, for him to go away, and be away from her for uh, you know an extended period of time, not just running up to the Circle K, uh, which I'm sure Harry does every day. Just why would you send the help up to Circle K when you could go yourself? And uh, I, you know that's okay, but that's man. He gets over there and he's got uh, he's got the the family in his ear. Uh, that is, it takes a while to get that back into line when he comes back home. <laughs> So it'll just be fascinating to see what happens when they unveil the Princess Diana statue. Who's going to be there? Who's not going to be there? And how they look at each other. I'm ready for that. And I saw where uh, Megan just received, got her new book out. I'm so happy. I can't wait to read it. No, really. Uh, Remember, she gave Harry the uh, bench with the little plaque on it for him and Archie this is your bench where life will begin and you and our son our baby our kin oh man that is genius that is genius well now she decided to make it into a book the bench and wow is do am I looking forward to reading you know the bench it's uh it's going to be a, a beautiful, beautiful book. And it's got, it's inspired, inspired by her, uh, by her family. And it's a series of vignettes. Fathers and their sons share a bench while they drink apple juice, wait for the bus, look at the stars and put on their shoes. The bench is where they cry, celebrate and mend their scraped knees and broken hearts. Oh man, that is so beautiful. And Megan says the poem was inspired by watching her husband and their son, Archie, together. The Bench by Megan, the Duchess of Sussex. Oh, man, that's just... It was Father's Day yesterday, and I know that this was a Father's Day gift from Megan. and Just another way to tighten the chain, baby. Tighten the chain. <laughs> but, I mean paying off so why do you want to 
Why do you want to break them up? I don't know. We'll see. And you can't break them up. She is not going to. It would not surprise me to have her go to the statue unveiling because, man, she does not want to lighten that chain at all. At all. So, good luck, Harry. Good luck, man. Bless your heart. Bless your heart.